0: Hello and welcome to Alien Minute, the daily podcast where we are analyzing aliens in short controlled bursts. My name is John Engel.
1: And I'm Scott Corelli. And today we're going back to Minute 11, which starts with a summary of the analysis team's findings and ends with Ripley seeing where this is going.
0: And yeah, guys, that's not Mitch Bryan. For the first time in Alien Minute history, we have a co-host, Scott Corelli from the Back to the Future Minute Podcast From the Spider-Man Minute podcast. What other shows do you got, Scott?
1: (laughs) Uh, The Doctor's Companion, the Doctor Who podcast, and uh, a whole network over at DuelingGenre.com.
0: Right. And I've been on, uh, uh, Scott and I know each other mainly from me being on the Back to the Future Minute a couple times, being deeply disparaging towards Back to the Future 2 and being uh, maybe overly... Overly effusive about Back to the Future 3, I don't know. But uh, anyway, it's been a lot of fun to be on his shows, and I thought uh, he'd be a great guy to bring in to be the first guest host on Alien Minute. So thanks for coming, Scott.
1: Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is uh, an honor to be the first person filling in for Mitch's seat.
0: And, uh, of course, we have a guest, as usual. We have Lindsay Romaine. Uh, Lindsay... I realize now that I did not ask you how you wanted to be introduced. <laughs> Will you let the audience know where uh, where they might know you from?
2: Yeah, well, I, I'm i a contributing writer for a lot of different websites. I write for Vulture, for Bo- Earth Movies Death, for Teen Vogue, um, a handful of other places. So that's where you might know me.
0: Great. Sorry. See, there's, a, there's still bugs in the system with this new protocol. So um, usually Mitch would be the one to ask that question. Oh, Mitch, where are you? Okay, well, no, we're doing fine. All right, so yeah, we're talking about minute number 11. We're still in the middle of the inquest here, and uh, Ripley's having kind of a hard time of it, huh?
1: Yeah, it's... uh, The no physical evidence thing, I think, is interesting because um, they're saying that there is no physical evidence of the creature on the lifeboat, which was basically like that little truncated third act of uh, Alien. And... I, I find that questionable because if I remember that scene correctly, that alien was drooling like a lot. Uh, <laughs> I You would think that there would be little puddles of alien saliva, you know, xenomorph saliva all over the place, but apparently no physical evidence whatsoever. That I, I find that questionable.
0: I do too. I, I feel this is a dubious statement at best between just basic DNA that would be if a creature is present inside of a small space like that, there's going to be DNA drool or not. Uh, not to mention she, she jacked him pretty good with a harpoon gun. Mm-hmm. Um, something had to have happened there. Right. I'm thinking, uh, I don't know if this is poor writing, if this is uh, part of the gaslighting, which is a lot of what we should be talking about today. I imagine or or if they know a whole lot and they're just flat out lying. Yeah, it was my first note as well, Scott. Was that I, I really don't buy this uh, analysis team's findings at all?
2: Maybe the alien just has like a really good little forensic cleanup team that comes in after. <laughs>
0: <laughs> You're suggesting that someone uh, someone came upon the, aboard the lifeboat and just uh, a xenomorph cleanup team.
2: Yeah, yeah,
0: that would have been uh, that would have been interesting, I guess, if that. Uh, <laughs> were the case i'm wondering about the gas uh we keep going back you know we talked a lot about it last season we talked about it a little bit uh with mitch and jason heck last week about or actually it was me and mitch i think about two weeks ago we we're talking about how that gas might have had some sort of effect on the inside of the of the narcissists and whether that was part of the the icy goopy kind of stuff that's on her, her cryo tube and I wonder if maybe that gas neutralizes any kind of sort of biological material around. Um, I suppose if you're going to retcon it, you could do it that way. But yeah, I'm with you. I, th- I thought that was a little bit strange. Um, but you know, I think that what we're dealing with here is, is the gaslighting, right? Uh, yeah. the, the company's definitely, if they know, they, they might even know as much as she does or more about this, but they're not going to let on to her, are they?
2: Yeah. And no, I think that's definitely the best, the best bet here. They're setting her up for, to sort of make her feel crazy. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I think he even, uh, so this guy, Dr. Van Lewin, the name of the guy, uh, sort of leading this conference is definitely, that seems to be his interest. And we could talk more about that in the next minute too, with the way he concludes the meeting here, the inquest. But yeah, I mean, I, I, it's hard to believe with the events of alien, with what we saw of Ash and mother and what they knew about the situation that they don't know anything about this. It seems kind of crazy, but at the same time, it would be completely crazy to send a colony there, right?
1: Yeah. Well, and and not, and I mean, just beyond the, the lifeboat, I, like there is no kind of black box, kind of, uh, I don't know, digital signal black box from the ship that she was on. Um, That was their ship. Like you said, I mean, Mother and and Ash and all that, they had all these contingencies. They didn't have any sort of – I mean, they weren't sending any sort of signal or anything back to to home base.
0: Yeah, we talked about that a little bit last week. I think there had to have been. Mm -hmm. I think Ash definitely – I mean, Mother probably is a redundancy, just reports everything back, right? Mm -hmm. She's got to be a part – they talk about the network a couple of times. So there's got to be a network of communication here, I think. So I'm thinking for sure they send it back and they do mention the flight recorder on the, on the narcissist. So there is some evidence they say, it. it, what is his exact words? The flight recorder uh, corroborated part of her story or whatever. Mm -hmm. So there is that, but you know, that's what makes it hard to believe that they don't know a whole lot more. But I can't tell uh, to jump into the writer's shoes for a second and uh, thinking about James Cameron writing the script. I can't tell if he's got that in mind when he's writing the scene or if this is just uh, classic bucking against the company kind of, kind of gaslighting. I, I can't tell if, if there's any maliciousness involved here or if they're really hiding something or if this is just that cliche kind of classic scene. But I don't know. It's tough. It's a tough one because I'm not sure if there's a whole lot of evidence one way or the other.
1: Mm hmm.
2: Right, yeah, it comes off kind of as a setup, just from my impression, and I guess we'll talk about that more in the, the upcoming minutes, but you sort of get the sense that, that, yeah, that it's all an elaborate ruse to kind of get her to play along, and maybe that isn't something that they were considering in writing it, but that's really the impression I get, watching it in the context of knowing what comes later.
0: Yeah.
1: I I think that has to be the case, because otherwise, like, what are they suggesting? Are they suggesting she killed all of her crew and then ran away?
2: It's also been 57, what, 57 years. So it's just funny that they would be concerned about little things like that, like once there's all of this time in between.
0: Yeah, it is kind of strange. I mean, they have to deal with her in some way. But you're right. Like, what are they suggesting here? <laughs> if they don't believe her story then what then she blew up a ship full of people or they died from some other means i don't know it is there does seem to be something kind of missing from from this scene when you look at it this closely now uh that said when i'm not looking at it this closely i'm glad that this is a nice efficient little scene i'm i'm kind of glad we just have this more stereotypical bucking of heads because we don't need to spend a whole lot of time going into the details. I mean, how laborious would the scene be if that we had to ask all these questions in the scene? You know, so um, this might be one of those things where you kind of blow past it. And it's a little bit of refriger- refrigerator logic, right? Where, okay, you can't really sit and ask all these questions. So let's just glide right through the scene. It's at the it's in the first act. We're just setting things up. We're just setting up conflict. We're not really setting up. This Van Leeuwen guy never comes back. We're not setting up a character here. So there's really no reason to have too much going on in the scene
2: also in the background you can see the you know the people that passed away on the other ship and maybe all of the little like computer language there is just spelling out right what they're actually going over
1: and I and I think too, I mean it's I guess it's important to note that it's been 8 years since Alien was in theaters and so I think this scene not only does it set up conflicts like you were saying John but it's also reminding people what happened in Alien because I don't know that you know how easily accessible Alien has been for everyone at this point, and so they're probably walking into the to the movie with the assumption that people haven't seen Alien since they saw it in theaters in '79.
0: I think you have to. In '86, in you know, we my family had gotten a VCR about a year before that, right? And I'm actually not hundred percent sure when Alien was available on VHS because. Just because, there were, you know, VCRs came into the market about that time uh, for everybody's availability. But I could tell you from experience that movies weren't necessarily available. Like you, the the video store I went to was a hardware store with three shelves, like tiny shelves of movies. And that was all the movies that we could get a hold of. So they had to assume that a lot of people had no way of seeing Alien again. And I think, yeah, you have to take that in, into account when you're writing the movie. So I wanted to talk about, uh, we, we have Van Leeuwen. We have him you know, dismissing Ripley, basically disbelieving her story. And then we we go for a little evidence. He wants to get a little backup here. So he goes to this unnamed female cohort of his. And uh, we talked about her a little bit last week as well. But I wanted to, to kind of bring her into focus a little bit because I'm curious what you guys think is the purpose of having the singular female character in the scene. And whether there's any significance to her costuming?
2: Yeah. Well, first of all, um, the movie passes the Bechdel test right away uh, with introducing this woman and having Ripley and her talk <laughs> to each other, which is something I noticed right away.
0: Yeah, that's true. I, I didn't even think of it in those terms. This movie does that multiple times, so uh, th- there's quite a there's quite a lot of Bechdel tests passing in this movie. But this is the initial. Well, actually, the, the the nurse or doctor. Oh, right. Uh, previously would have would have done it as well so yeah they had that covered many years before they knew what it was but i'm wondering if this this she's obviously very dismissive of ripley's story as well does it take a little pressure off of the perhaps mansplaining nature of the scene to have a woman also contribute to this
2: yeah i mean i think sort of women opposing each other in different power structures is something that comes up a lot in the aliens films and uh yeah, I think that might be there to offset it a little bit. Um, it's just also sort of showing that Ripley isn't afraid to, uh, I don't know, fight with a woman, too. It's its not about that. That's sort of the impression I got from it.
0: I, I was also wondering if I – mean, one thing this movie definitely does, I think, and I, this will be a thread through the entire season. I think that in the costuming here, I think there's a little bit of gender gender neutralization happening as well. And I think there might be it might not be that political of a thing that James Cameron was thinking of, but I do think that he was thinking about 57 years after the events of Alien, and the gender dynamics of the world as we saw it then. Maybe he's suggesting that they've advanced that everything's become a little bit more even, uh, even between the genders, and we see that with we have two other female characters later in the movie that are I think overtly supposed to not resemble females, right, as we traditionally think of them. Am I off base on that idea, or do we think that's a possibility that he had that in mind?
2: Yeah, no, I think that's that's definitely a possibility. Um, because there isn't so much focus made on the fact that it's a woman, too, you know, there aren't any, like, quips that point out any of that. I think it, it definitely does show that it's just a future world where these people are more on par with one another. That's, yeah.
0: You know, she's smoking cigarettes with them. So they're, not, they're not like Virginia Slims. She's wearing a tie. She's, everything seems to be just flat out even. Um, I think it's interesting because we get so – it's so much more over the top later with our Marine characters. But here it seems to be a, another subtle suggestion and maybe a juxtaposition that's being created between Ripley and the rest of the women of the aliens' world. I don't know if that's the case. I think that's something we'll explore as the, as our season goes on. But I thought that would be something to sort of tease a little seed to plant for that idea here with our first real interaction or conflicting re or interaction between Ripley and this again, unnamed woman. Uh,
1: I will say this when, uh, when she is reiterating uh, what Ripley is claiming happened, it, it to be fair it sounds pretty crazy <laughs> especially <laughs> especially the acid for blood thing that's that's the one bit of the mythology of the xenomorphs and everything that i've never been able to really make sense of uh and so when she says it just very plainly like that yeah i i get why no one would believe that that sounds like why what purpose would that serve in the uh uh, you know, in nature, like why why would you need that, and how would that work? And so, I I think that that bit of this scene where she's reiterating like <laughs> how xenomorphs work, how they come to be, uh, and and the acid blood, I I just really love that moment because even Ripley is like, okay, yeah, I I see how that sounds now that you're saying it out loud, but it's not not true. It's true. Well, see, that, that's kind of funny,
0: though, because Parker immediately accepts it, right? He has that immediate understanding of it in Alien. Mm-hmm. As soon as they uh, go through the, the the dramatic scene of the acid going through the decks of the ship, as soon as they figure out what it was, he immediately says uh, it's a hell of a defense mechanism, mm-hmm. right? So why well, he could figure it out, and to me, that makes perfect sense. But at the same time, you're right. I mean, if you're a corporate stooge sitting back on the old uh, space station – it's gotta sound completely bad mm-hmm. but yeah so you're right I mean she does the way she spits it back at her someone like me who saw aliens before I saw alien I don't remember feeling this but someone like me might go yeah that is crazy is this like really is this lazy lady crazy right now I also wondered in regards to this woman I wondered as well if if we're kind of there's there's something more of an impact to her dismissal where Maybe uh, not to keep talking about gender politics here in this, in this particular minute, but the fact that she is so flippant, flippantly dismissive of Ripley, um, do you, do we think that has more of an impact on Ripley? Like she's a little bit more offended by that even maybe she expects it from the men. I mean, she got it from from Ash and she got it from Dallas and Alien, you know, so maybe it's a, a little bit more impactful. and. One of the reasons I asked that is because there's a little editorial move with a little bit of a camera move involved here where when, after the woman dismisses her, we cut back to Ripley, but we're in focus with Ash in the background. I don't know if you guys noticed this and we pull focus to Ripley. So it's almost as if, God damn it, this is Ash talking to me again. Why is, why am I getting this again? Or somebody's trying to dismiss me with pseudo facts or disbelief. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but I wondered if it seems like intentional.
1: Yeah, I, I like it a lot. And I think, I mean, from a and and who knows what it was. I mean, you you probably have the script in front of you. Was she uh, uh, was this character female in Cameron's script or is this he did he just on the day or, you know, in, in pre-production cast a female in this um, and think oh yeah that would be that's a good way of uh, playing this or was that in the script
0: well yes Scott I do have the script right here in front of me and um, actually it doesn't attribute any gender to the insurance investigator which is what she's called here in the script hmm. so I don't know I mean the rewrites happen on the on the set you know or casting they might have just decided she was good um, in the casting sessions I don't know Uh, Or it could have just been an idea that came up since the script was turned in.
1: Well, what I like about her uh, being female, though, is I think that, you know, to a certain extent, you're right about Ripley being um, used to this sort of situation with men. And the fact that it's a woman, what it allows the scene to do is sort of go, go zero to 60, Really quickly, because if it was men, I, I feel like Ripley would have a little more patience because she's almost like used to dealing with this. Whereas now that it's a woman, it's like, OK, I can see where this is going. And, you know, I, I need to I, we need to put the kibosh on this now uh, because you guys need to listen to me. And I, I really like that as a um, as sort of like a tool to keep the movie moving because if this was another man you could see the the conversation getting bounced around the room a little bit more um but because it goes directly to this woman it allows uh Ripley to sort of fight back a little harder a little faster
2: right something else I really noticed and like I I like this woman right away I probably am not supposed to but she just seems like really in charge and in control and they kind of mm-hmm. defer to her to answer these. And my favorite little thing, I don't know if this is intentional, but in the background, you can see the man sitting behind her looks like he's asleep. So it's kind of like, it's like this woman <laughs> looks like all these like, you know, silly men are sleeping around her and she's just like smoking and totally cool. And yeah, I, yeah.
0: Yeah, that man is unbelievably still, <laughs> even if he's asleep. Like I I noticed that, too, on that last little run through that we had right before we started recording I was looking at him and I said, I know what he's doing from when they cut to a wider shot that he's just, he's just the most relaxed guy in the room. And he looks like he might be sketching a doodling or something on a piece of paper, but man, he's still, and he does look like asleep, he's asleep. And I think in the composition of the shot, that can't be entirely accidental. I think that, um, he's, uh, he's deliberately still, right. I don't know. I can't be that still, you know, unless I tried really hard. So yeah, that's a good point.
2: I also think the woman, um, is the only one smoking from what I can tell in the shot too, which also feels maybe like a power choice, kind of like a, mm-hmm. you know, just again, making her sort of seem in charge and above it all in a certain way, which makes her and Ripley's the tension there a little bit more, you know, present.
0: Yeah, there's a, there's a lot of smoke in the room. I'm guessing people have been smoking, but as far as you're right, as far as act, action within the frame, uh, yeah, it seems as though they've deliberately made her be the smoker right. in the room. And yeah, that's, that's good. Yeah. It makes for a little dynamic, uh, physical dynamic right. there. Right. Do either of you guys have anything else for this minute? Um,
2: something I did notice, and this is completely like just me paying attention to words, but, um, I had to laugh a little bit cause when they do talk about scrubbing the, the board and they couldn't find anything, they talk about how they went over it centimeter by centimeter. And I thought that was kind of a, funny like metaphor for the podcast going like five oh sure
0: <laughs> that's a good point i chose i chose the short controlled burst from later in the movie but you're uh i should have done the early episodes before we got that the centimeter by centimeter. <laughs> we're the analysis team that goes over right. aliens centimeter by right. centimeter oh yeah. thank you we, we, i might use i might throw that in from time to time we'll
2: see. <laughs> all
0: right well if that's all everybody's got we can move on to minute number 12 okay. You can find us at alienminute.com or follow us on Twitter at Alien Minute Pod. We're also on Instagram at Alien Minute Podcast. And, of course, please subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, or or Google Play if you haven't already. And uh, think about giving us a five-star review on iTunes. That would be awesome to get us some exposure. And, of course, on Mondays, typically, we try to thank the guys over at Star Wars Minute, Pete the Retailer and Alex Robinson, for coming up with this format and loaning it out to us. So thanks again, guys. Um, All right. Well, we'll see you tomorrow for Minute number 12.